Welcome to Story Culture Live Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Clarissa J. This podcast is about our powerful storytelling lineage. Here we are going to celebrate the craft of storytelling and honor its tellers. A Chilean writer, Isabella Allende, once said, I write the story as others told it to me so that the wind does not erase it. Just like Allende, Story Culture Live proclaims the legacy building power of storytelling and story spaces. For this episode, I will share with you a little about where Story Culture Live was born in Augusta, Georgia, on the front porch of an Ace Street shotgun house. I will tell you about the community of tellers who assemble for season one to be interviewed, to talk to us, to teach us. But for right now, I invite you to join this community on our new Instagram account, storyculture.live, to follow this work and become a part of this community. So... Let's go. So as a kid, my love of storytelling was born on the front porch of my grandmother's first cousin, Phoebe. Graham and I lived in East Augusta, Georgia, which is called The Bottom. But on Saturdays, we took a taxi to the city. Cousin Phoebe lived in a shotgun house on 8th Street. Okay, so a shotgun house was designed in the South, like during the Civil War, between Civil War and 1920s. And the body of the house was narrow and long, like the barrel of a shotgun. So basically, if you can envision this, it's like all the entryways to each of the rooms and the sections of the home were on the same side of the house. So you could look into the front door, past the foyer, past the living room, past three bedrooms if it had three bedrooms and a kitchen and have an unobstructed view out the back door. And the cities, in the southern cities particularly, could have a couple of feet between the houses legally. So basically, these houses were configured to make overcrowding easier in the cities. So these Saturdays were endearing to me for a lot of reasons. <laughs> One of them was it was the day that I got to eat Church's Fried Chicken, which was in walking distance from Phoebe's house. This was a big deal because I would get a two-piece corn on the cob, a jalapeno pepper, strawberry Fanta. Same thing, whole childhood. And I need to say, this is not sponsored by Coca-Cola, Fanta, or churches. But my whole childhood, same order. And that would be a wing and a breast. I got to play in the coal dust black dirt. I don't know if you've ever seen coal dust black dirt. Like the blackest dirt. It's like really powdery. And I don't know why the dirt was so different on A Street than it was in the bottom. But I got to play in this dirt and, and I played with the neighbor's kid. Her name was Lil' Carolyn. We call her Lil' Carolyn. But her name was Little Carolyn because, of course, there was a big Carolyn, too. But sometimes Graham would have to wipe off my face, hands, knees just to get in the taxi to go home. She'd be like, I don't want you to dirty up them people's taxi right on the ride back to the bottom, right? So on those A Street Saturdays, we spent time sitting on Phoebe's compact porch fanning flies, fanning heat with dated newspapers. And Phoebe and her husband, Ike, I need to say, owned a carpentry business, but they also were number runners. 
I gambled, he played cards, and apparently I gathered that he had a seat at the neighborhood's high table for gambling because, and I knew this because he sent runners who shuffled up the porch steps to get more cash from Phoebe when Ike was running low during the game. So she knew her husband had sent the boy and she wasn't being robbed because he, he would run into the yard with Ike's hat or his belt or something like that. And I remember as a kid, that impressed me so much. According to my grandma, she and Phoebe had about an 8th grade education from Floyd Middle School. And this astounded me. It astounded me because of the precision of Phoebe's thought life and the exactness of her memory. When she recalled what she witnessed in this vibrant black 8th street community, right? So of course this porch was a story space, but it was also a classroom for me. For example, I learned that as a numbers runner, Ike and Phoebe never wrote numbers on paper. Folks would come up on the porch and say things like they wanted to play a dollar on 237 three ways. And Phoebe would just nod. That was it, nothing else. She vocalized nothing. She wrote nothing because I learned when the police raided houses where people came to play numbers, they took all scratch papers and notebooks, even Rolodexes with phone numbers, and they took it all as evidence. So Phoebe's mind was the library of numbers, story plots, updates, and the minutia around the lives of A Street characters. So amongst other things, that porch was a meeting place. People quote unquote did business on that porch. It's where neighbors converged to report, to warn, to come together, to be updated, and to grieve. But also, I remember rifts of laughter that hung over that porch. So much laughter was on that porch because Phoebe was the storyteller with the power to liberate a listener from the day's weight. Laugh to keep from crying. I heard on that porch all my childhood. Crazy, wiry, gray hair, high cheekbones, and skin like black coffee. That was Phoebe. Phoebe sat in an iron porch chair pouring out an archive. In her hand, the rolled newspaper was sometimes a gavel. She swatted her shin with it to hit mosquitoes, to percuss the high notes of what she had just said. <laughs> sometimes she waved the paper in circles over her head. These gestures of hers told us as much story as her words did. So in my eyes, Phoebe's power was well established on that porch where she created a kind of story culture. And I needed to introduce you to the inspiration of this podcast because I started the episode by telling you that the Story Culture Live podcast was born because of Phoebe and her porch. I actually found my way back to that porch in 2019 because that's when I started to inventory my memories, nesting more time, more hours in nostalgia, hoping to find the things that made me fall in love with the storytelling in the first place. I was on a hunt, for sure. I was on a hunt because, well, now this could be the part of the episode where I take a deep dive into the disenfranchisement of yet another first-generation African-American college student, but I'm not going to. 
For now, suffice it to say that I could never get my bearings. PhD'd up and on my third directorship in higher ed today, and I still feel as though membership never really crystallized for me. So I will say this though, the traditions of higher ed feel like the old fashioned kind of girdle. You can move around in it, but this thing is designed to squeeze you out of your natural form. So I found my way back to Phoebe's porch treasure using all of the, how did I get here line of inquiry, but in a good way. I, what I meant was like, where had the passion seeds been planted originally? And I had all of these epistemological questions, like how did I first come to understand Storycraft? So I turned to Phoebe and to remove some of the murkier layers, the older, clingier layers of memory, I did what I now call the popsicle lamp exercise. Papa, my granddad, he was originally from Philly. Now his favorite cousin, Florence would come down south from Philly every year for a week or two. Now Florence was beautiful, tall, loud, and she was kind of like Medea, but long before Tyler Perry did Medea. Florence was tender-hearted, and I learned this because whenever she drank dark liquor, she cried. She cried about everything, anything. She cried when she drank dark liquor. Now this one year, she showed up at the Greyhound bus station with a suitcase and this really tall, lopsided nightstand lamp. A nightstand lamp made out of popsicle sticks. She presented this gift to my grandmother whom she adored and I had never seen a more hideous lamp. And I was a kid, I didn't have many years under my belt, but that was the most hideous thing I had ever seen. But my grandmother, who was this almost angelic being, like the most angelic being on the planet that I knew, graciously and thankfully received this presentation, right? And she said, like, true to form, oh, Florence, you made this? I'm gonna put this right here. So over the years, more than a decade, things changed in my grandmother's house. Furniture, chotskis, carpet turned to laminate floors, but that lamp stayed. The lamp stayed because Graham wanted the popsicle lamp to be in plain sight when Florence came through. The other 50 weeks a year, other confused house guests stared at the popsicle lamp and Graham justified its being there. She explained its incongruency with every other thing in her life. But in a matter of months, Florence had moved on to other interests, but her artwork, that lamp, was a monument holding this Southern home hostage. From day one, that lamp never truly brought my grandmother joy. So the popsicle lamp exercise for me was to indiscriminately survey and remove the popsicle lamps from my memory narrative. Any fixed ideas about personal history had to be interrogated. Are you a constraint? Are you a stronghold? Are you useful? Have you ever been useful? Have you ever been a source of joy or inspiration for me? Truly, I mean truly. And this process cleared my memory path, cleared it up enough to lead me back to Phoebe's porch where I was again a small child sitting between African-American elders who made me feel warm and tucked in. And I was a kid in love with storytelling there. 
surrounded by the Phoebes who had agency, who taught me about storycraft, kinship, and the powerful influence of a story space like A Street in Augusta, Georgia. So this Story Culture Live podcast is my porch. For season one in this story space, I'm inviting guest storytellers to talk about actionable anti-racism work. Because for black people, political and social tensions inform and apply everlasting pressure to our story spaces. And Phoebe's Porch Treasure is an, an inspiring example. That same A Street community was where there was a 1970s Augusta race riot. A 16-year-old black child, Charles Oatman, was brutally murdered in a Richmond County jail. When his body was released to his family, he had several foot-long, half-inch gashes in his back. The back of his skull was cracked. Cigarette butts had been put out on his body. And according to the coroner's report, the cause of death was drowning. So A Street and the rest of Black Augusta rioted. They rioted. And this kind of history never leaves a story space. It's imprinted. And more importantly, this history never leaves the storytellers. So a story culture live conversation focusing on the role of story culture in actionable anti-racism movements felt like the right place to begin all of this giving a nod to the way that the elders taught us how to handle storytelling on shotgun house porches. This season will go to vegetable gardens, the ocean floor, the state house, and the writer's table. We talk to author Tanana Reed Dew, state senator Tiara Mack, modern day activists like Tarshir Battle and Kim Conway Dumpson. Tanana Reed Dew is most known for her many documentaries and novels in horror noir and Afrofuturism, actually. Tanana Reed has worked for years with her husband, author Stephen Barnes, and has done projects with Jordan Peele. But we get to talk to her about the impact of being raised in South Florida by parents who were civil rights activists. We talk to state senator Tiara Mack, and she tells us about our hair. And with her crown act, she fights the still crippling stigmas of African-derived hair as badges of inferiority. Kim Conway Dumpson brings the story space into the 1800s. Her family is our true-to-life Bridgerton story. Kim's is a family lineage of abolitionists who sacrificed alongside Frederick Douglass and many other important lesser-known fighters. So this is just a sampling of season one, man. I mean, a taste. So Story Culture Live podcast is a celebration of African-American tellers who are, to me, the heroes of their story spaces. Your kinship with us is invaluable. So I thank you for joining us on this journey. And please remember, your porch treasure is your legacy.